the book of Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be reading from verses 8 through to 14 this morning. The book of Matthew chapter 22. There's a man by the name of Frank Abagnale. And uh, Frank Abagnale is, uh, uh, go- has gone down in history as a modern day imposter. Uh, at the age of 16, Frank Abagnale ran away from home. Uh, they were faced with a few issues at home. Mum and dad divorced. Uh, and so having to try to face with that reality... Uh, Frank ran away and began to realize, well, I need to get money. And so he would forge these checks to be able to uh, get some money. Uh, Unfortunately, that ran dry. And so he had to uh, find new ways of uh, getting money. He's only 16 years of age. And so he says he observed as a pilot walked in to a bank and walked out the authority that he was uh, uh, carrying with him just because of his uh, uh, uniform that he was wearing. He went and uh, uh, schemed up a plan to be able to get one of those true pilot uh, 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 uniforms. uh, And uh, not long after that, he began to cash these checks in. He uh, actually was able to cash up to 20, I think it was $21 million dollars worth uh, of uh, checks Uh, but what's interesting is that the moment that he put on the uniform as a pilot everything changed in fact he realized that he could fly for free he would go into an airport and being a pilot he was given a position of power and as a result with that uh, position came a lot of benefits Uh, Frank was able to uh, fly from the ages of 16 to 21 until he was finally caught uh, 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 close to 1 million miles uh, in the air, over 250 flights that he boarded, uh, all because of a uniform. Yeah, he later actually went on uh, uh, to write down that he was a doctor uh, and again assumed the position of a doctor. Uh, uh, You know, again, insane story that Frank Abagnale got uh, involved in. uh, but all because of the uniform. And I want to preach to you this morning about the power of a uniform because the Bible has a lot to say about what we wear. And this is not talking about, uh, this is not publicity stunt towards, uh, not going to launch a new uh, uh, clothing brand that you can buy. Uh, uh, this is all about what God wants us to wear this morning. Put on upon our lives as Christians uh, to be able to accomplish all that God uh, has for us. And so this morning, uh, the power of the uniform out of the book of Matthew chapter 22, verse 8 uh, through to 14. The Bible says this, and we're catching on uh, halfway through the story, the parable of the wedding feast. Uh, this is after the people who were invited refused to come. Uh, now uh, the king is asking his servants to go in the highways and byways uh, and get everyone in uh, to the wedding. The Bible says in verse 8, Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. So those servants who went uh, went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, uh, both bad and good. I want you to focus on that. The wedding hall was filled with guests. 
But when the king came in to see the guests, uh, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? Uh, and he was speechless. Uh, then the king said to the servant, uh, the servants, bind him hand and foot, uh, take him away, uh, cast him into outer darkness. Uh, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, uh, but few are chosen. The power of uniform. I want to look firstly uh, and focus on the fact of where is your garment. In the clothing industry, the marketing strategy is always clothing defines uh, who we are. And it all has to do, and it is focused on the brand name. It's amazing to me at how just a black t-shirt can go from being $5 at Kmart to $110 to another shop because it has a name by Hugo Boss or Tommy Hilfiger. It's amazing at how just the name can change immediately the price or the value. I remember being young and we weren't, you know, we weren't rich. We couldn't afford all the luxuries. And so as I was growing up into my teenage years, I wanted the expensive clothes, but we couldn't afford it. And so I would save all my pocket money and all my birthday money to be able to purchase these brand names. You know, unfortunately, I, I still had many, uh, uh, you know, uh, items of clothing from the uh, beautiful shop called Target. You may know it as Target. You would cut off the little tag, you know, just in case it kind of peered up from the top of your collar there uh, and exposed you. Uh, and, and so, you know, you, you kind of, you were embarrassed of that. There was a, a very adolescent, uh, immature mind. Thank God I've grown out of that. But here is the emphasis that the world puts upon the brand names. And what's interesting about the passage of Scripture is that it highlights the fact that it does matter what you put on. Not in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God. The wedding garment is something specific uh, that was given to those who were uh, uh, going to this wedding. In verse 11, the Bible says, But when the king came to see the guests, he saw that there was a man who did not have a wedding garment on. Now the custom was uh, that the host of the wedding, uh, this being the king, uh, was to supply a wedding garment for all of the guests. Uh, so this was not a garment that had to go out of the expense uh, of the person who was invited. Uh, this was a donation. This was a, a, a gift of gratitude. We want you to be uh, at our wedding feast. Uh, and so I don't want anything to hinder us. Uh, what's interesting specifically specifically about this uh, garment uh, is because there were so many people coming, uh, like the Bible says, uh, some of them were good and some of them were bad. Uh, the wedding garment was able to cover them so that it would allow them to all look as equals. So if you were rich and successful, it didn't matter because you were wearing the garment that made you look exactly like someone who came from the slums, was unsuccessful and poor. This garment is what was required for you to wear. And again, the servants went out, found anyone who was out there, good or bad, and the wedding feast was filled. Now, this is important for you to understand. God is willing none would perish, but all would be invited. All would have everlasting life. That's good news for you and I. Can you say amen? 
That irregardless to uh, uh, the mistakes that we've made in the past, uh, how we've done, He still loves us and draws us to Himself. Uh, he seeks out reconciliation uh, for the opportunity that while we're there, we would be clothed with His garment, uh, this representing God's grace, uh, God's salvation, and enter into His feast uh, so that we could be with uh, our King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Now this picture is profound because here he does not rule us out there is a wedding feast and there is coming a day this is not uh, speaking about the uh, time out there of the the feast this is speaking about now the day of salvation a time now that we have uh, in grace uh, to be able to be reconciled. Uh, listen to me, today is the day. Don't waste, don't belabor, don't put it off because we don't know how much time we have uh, on this earth. Uh, here is the tragedy in our text uh, that this man chose not to wear the garment that was given to him. Uh, you know, our God demonstrates his love for us that even while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Even while we were reckless and using his name as a, as a cuss word, he said, I still am going to die for us. This man chose not to wear this garment. In other words, he tried to be in the presence of the king in a manner that felt right to him. Now, this is much like the generation today seeing themselves and elevating themselves because of who they feel they are. Ah, do you know who I am? I'm important. And I deserve a pay rise, or I deserve the best job in the world, even though I've just left school. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, any failure in that department is, uh, uh, you know, going to offend me, and you're going to see my lawyer because you, you've, uh, you've somehow violated my rights. Uh, and you have this craziness today where this man, no doubt, uh, would have gone to the very line, the front of the line, being offered a garment. Here, take this garment, put this on, and go into be with the king and he would say no I don't need a garment look at me I'm gorgeous I'm amazing we see this as self-righteousness Isaiah 64 6 highlights but we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags we all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away this morning I saw a video clip of LeBron James. How many know who LeBron James is, right? He's a famous violinist. I'm just checking if you're awake. Just checking. Famous basketball player. And he goes through two defenders. I mean, I'm not even going to reenact it, but he slam dunks it. And you know what the comment was? It's amazing to see him do it even while he's 35 years old. I'm like, now wait a minute. Just because he's 35, I mean, they're amazed, you know, 19, 20, yeah, absolutely, 35, he can't, he could barely stand, you know, he's too old to play the sport. I was offended. But here is this reality, we're all fading, amen? That even our good deeds, the Bible says, are like 
filthy rags. Our righteousness can't even come close to the righteousness of God. Isaiah, the Bible says in chapter 1, verse 18, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be white as wool. Here is this guest that was invited that said, I am okay without the garment. I don't need it. His self-righteousness, he did not see himself the way God saw him. He, did, he failed to realize that we all have shortcomings. We've all fallen short of his glory. And this highlights the true state of mankind today. I don't need to go to church. I've never killed anyone. I've never done anything really bad. And they refuse to put on the garment. They refuse to understand their true state. The truth is, is that if we were all given what we deserve, we'd all be in hell. Can anybody say amen? But thank God for His grace. You need to understand that even in our best, we are still not good enough in the eyes of God. That it was immediately after the fall of man that Adam and Eve covered themselves with fig leaves they had sewn together. You could make the best tailor-made suit, step into the presence of the king, and he would still say, that's not good enough. Because we need to be covered by his garment. Not ours. Not what we think is right, but what God thinks is right. So let's look secondly at self-examination or the lack thereof the truth is is that we don't see things the way god sees them many times we fail to understand the needs and the wants the standards that god requires up to uphold many times we need to be reminded of this reality we take it for granted thinking that god will Way outweigh my good with my bads. He will somehow measure it in a balanced act uh, that I've helped out more times uh, than I haven't. Uh, and so therefore, uh, you know, just this juggling system where God is looked upon, is I'm sure that I'm doing good today, uh, and so everything will be fine. It's like most parents, how they see their children as innocent. That my child would never draw on the walls. I'm sure it was somebody else's kid. The truth is, is that God sees things different to how we see it. Now it's not uh, that uh, this passage of Scripture highlights that this man couldn't find his garment or that he couldn't afford the garment. Uh, again, we see it as a negligence on his behalf. He thought he would be fine without the garment that the king provided. And let me just say this, no one here in this place is better off without God. Without His love and without His grace, without being in His presence, uh, no one, no, there is no such thing as a successful backslider. There's no such thing uh, as someone living uh, outside of God's grace with His salvation uh, that is living a prosperous life. The truth is, the best life you can live is the one sold out for Jesus. Can anybody say amen? But this is where the plot thickens. Because we recognize this man, not only did he reject the garment, but then when he's challenged about the garment, his response is that he was speechless. That he didn't have anything to say. Think about this passage. The king comes up to him and he says, Friend, 
Notice how he's still being friendly here before he binds him and throws him out. How did you come in here without a garment? And he was speechless. Now, see, that's concerning. Because it's one thing to kind of think, okay, let me see how much I can get away with. Think about Frank Abagnale. He puts on a uniform and all of a sudden it's like, oh, would you like to fly on an aeroplane for free? Because you're a pilot, you get this privilege. He's like, okay. He'd just kind of go a little bit further, further. For, oh, I'm inside. I'm in the cockpit. Oh, we're taking off. Oh, we're landing. Let's see how, how many times I could do this. But what amazes me is that this man is in the presence of a king without his garment and he's speechless. He has no excuse. It's amazing at how today, how many people can justify their inadequacies. Say, well, I was born this way, or this is who I am, or I don't have parents that have loved me, and so that's why I react in this way. My dad left me when I was young, or I didn't have a, uh, you know, uh, uh, the luxuries that many others have, or I'm, you know, I'm overweight because I'm big boned. Or, you, know, you have somehow to, to justify uh, your inadequacy. Something is always somebody else's fault. And we need to be careful of what exactly we're excusing. Because no excuse, can anybody say amen, is good enough in the presence of a king. He has offered us so much. He has done even uh, the most uh, uh, you know, extraordinary thing, sending his only begotten son to die on the cross in our place. And here we are with an opportunity to be able to be in his presence all because of what he has done. He offers a garment and somehow in our minds we're thinking, yeah, I don't need it, I'm okay. And then in the very presence of the king, we have nothing to say. Why? Because that's the very truth. What can you say in front of a God who knows everything? What's unique is this man is speechless. In the parable of five wise and the five foolish virgins, the Bible says that five uh, brought enough oil to remain overnight even while uh, the bridegroom tarried. Uh, and the very moment that the ones who were foolish began to run out of oil, uh, began to panic, began to worry. Now this is a very uh, plausible uh, you know, uh, uh, excuse. We've run out. We didn't think about it. We didn't prepare. Uh, and so as a result, I, I, you know, we need to quickly fix this up. They go away only to find that when they return, the bridegroom has came and the door is shut. And tragic, those tragic words that nobody wants to hear, surely I say to you, I do not know you. You know, no one, when we stand in the presence of the king, will have a good enough excuse to justify why we didn't put on the garment why we didn't get saved, why we didn't do what God had challenged us to do. Nobody. Nobody would be able to stand before God. Well, God, you have to understand, I've got 13 kids. I've got to look after them. Uh, you know what? I've got a job. My boss, he needs me to be there all the time. You know, there is not going to be one excuse. Good enough. 
for a king. Charles Spurgeon said these words, people shouldn't need a microscope to see that you're a Christian. In other words, he's saying that there ought to be something about our lives that emanates the God that is inside of us. That something, that the way we live our lives and the way we portray ourselves is more than just uh, the exterior. But I, I have the right heart. I want to be in His presence and I don't want to be removed from that. This is why it's important to do self-evaluation now. Christians, if you've been saved for longer than six months, you come to understand that there are standards that there are prerequisites, there, there are commandments and laws. And yes, we know uh, that the Lord does not save us, uh, but we cannot do away with those uh, 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 things that God has established. Why? Because it will protect us uh, from the very lies of the devil. Colossians 3, the Bible speaks about putting death, uh, your members which are on the earth, uh, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry. Because these things, uh, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which uh, you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are, put to, uh, are to put off all these uh, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Think about that passage of scripture. We desperately need God to cover us because without his covering, that's who we are. That's the person that God sees. Without the blanket of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, you and I stand in the presence of an almighty God without no excuse. A self-evaluation needs to be done today. We must put on, the Bible says in Ephesians 6.13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Think about this passage of Scripture where the Bible says you have to put this on. In other words, this doesn't come naturally. It does, I mean, I don't know what, you know, your testimony, my testimony is I was born a sinner. And my parents will absolutely tell you that is exactly right. I would lie, I would steal, I, would, I was selfish uh, until finally I came to the knowledge that I, was, uh, I needed to change and I repented of my sins. I had to put on the armor of God. This passage of scripture goes on to speak about girding your waist with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, having your feet prepared uh, with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, praying always with all prayer and supplication uh, in the spirit. And that doesn't speak about the spirits like, you know, tequila or, uh, you know, Jack Daniels speaking about the spirit of God. Despite what popular belief will say, I feel closer to God when I'm in... No. Holy Ghost, power, comes to a person who does a self-evaluation. I know who I am. 
And therefore I need to be covered by the grace of Jesus Christ. I know who I am and what I am capable of. And therefore, if I want to remain in the presence of the King, I have to make sure that I am covered with what God wants me to be covered by. Let's look third and in closing at being fully clothed. I read an illustration of a young police cadet who was at the final stages finding his final exam in the police academy and was confronted with a very powerful question. His examiner looked at him and said, you are on patrol in the outer city. When an explosion occurs in a gas main nearby, on the investigation you find that a large hole has been blown into the footpath and that has overturned a van nearby. Inside the van there is a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, man and woman, are injured. You recognize the woman as the wife of the chief of police who is at the present away in USA. And passing a motorist stops to offer you assistance. But then you realize this man is on the run for an armed robbery previously. Suddenly a man runs out of a nearby house shouting that his wife has gone into an unexpected labor because of the shock of the explosion. Another man is crying for help having been blown in the adjacent canal by the explosion. Now cannot swim and is drowning. The examiner looks at the young cadet and says, explain in a few words what actions you would take. And he wrote down, I would take off my uniform and pretend I was part of the crowd. <laughs> That's too hard. Where do you start? The truth is that while that is the temptation, the Word of God challenged us to put the garment on. Why? Because while Christianity is not the easy road, it may be difficult, but it's not impossible. That if you're here and you haven't been saved for that long, or if you're struggling in your walk with Christ, let me give you some encouragement. Number one, don't take off the uniform. Keep serving Jesus Christ. It's going to get better. Don't forget the invitation was written out to you. In other words, God cares about you. God loves you. God has a destiny and a plan for your life. Don't think for one moment by putting off the uniform, you're going to experience a better life. That is the biggest lie that you can fall for. Oh, you know what? Before I got saved, life was so much easier. You had no money. You blew it all away. You had no brain cells. You smoked it all away. You had nothing because you were a slave to sin. Now that you're saved, God promises so many things and He blesses in so many different ways. But it's a battle. And it will be a challenging life. But don't feel for one moment it'll be easier by putting off the uniform. So what should we do to be, remain clothed? You know, holiness is always present in those who are loyal to the king. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, the Bible says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. It's, it's very profound to think about uh, seeing God. 
The truth is, is that uh, that day when we're in the presence uh, of God and uh, the Father, Jesus Christ, we're going to be there being able to seek Him, but it's not because of what we've done, but because of what we've put on. And it is holiness that we are challenged to, to uh, apply. The first garment we can have is obedience. Obedience... It's not what you think is right, but what God has written down for us to observe and apply. Samuel said to King Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. After he uh, uh, you know, stepped into a, a dimension that he was not uh, uh, allowed to step into, he began to grow impatient. He wanted to please the crowd. He wanted to make sure that he was still the favorite king. And so he acted in an ungodly manner. He disobeyed the man of God, and therefore the kingdom was removed from him. It's amazing at how we go through life having to follow instructions. No one's exempt. Children have to listen to their parents. You get older, children have to listen to the teachers. As you mature, adults have to listen to other you know, adults, their bosses, their overseers, the counselors. That never goes away. And as a Christian... It's our challenge to always remain obedient. Psalms 119 speaks about many expressions towards God's, uh, God and His laws and His commandments. Uh, and in verse 97, he says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Think about that. He's saying, this is what I give myself to. No doubt the law exposes who we are as sinners. And he says, you know what? I love that. Because it recalibrates me in obedience. The second garment that we need to apply is honor. The moment that this man stepped into the presence of a king without the garment, he was dishonoring the king. God gave him something and he wouldn't put it on. Now, the truth is, is that you wouldn't go in there deliberately trying to make yourself superior. But I wonder how many times you and I, can we truly say we give honor to our God? In everything that we do, we lift Him up above us. I know I don't, I, I'm too tired to go to church, but I'm, I'm here to honor you this morning. There are so many issues in my life. I feel like I've been beaten and bruised. But you know what? I'm still going to raise my hands and sing. You know, honor is more than just lip service. Honor is an attitude of heart. Just saying I love you to my wife doesn't mean that I mean it until I demonstrate it. Hebrews, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 15, the Bible says, These people draw near to me uh, with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know, Jesus is quoting an Old Testament scripture in Isaiah. And think about again the scriptures that we spoke about in Isaiah, speaking about 
our righteousness being like filthy rags and uh, us coming to Him and uh, being uh, red as crimson as scarlet, all these these uh, uh, images of who we really are. Uh, and so here is Jesus, uh, uh, you know, hundreds of years later, and He's sitting there and He's saying, you know what, you can say these things, uh, but if your heart is not right, then you're not giving me true honor. The third garment has to do with loyalty. How can we say we are God's children when we are not willing to dress with what God gives us? Put on what God has given us. We still look like the world. Listen to me. Our God is a jealous God. In Exodus, it speaks about those who serve God. He says, For I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation and to those who hate me. But he says, But showing mercy to the thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You know, loyalty is something today that is sought after. Every company that you go to, here's a loyalty card. Write your name on it. This is you and I. We're, we're going to be loyal to each other. Coles doesn't want you to go to Woolworths. Woolworths doesn't want you to go to Coles. Stay loyal. But you know why? Because we are so unloyal. We will go to the place that's the cheapest. We will go to the place that fits us best. And we will shop around for the best bargain. And we love it. How many love a good sale? <laughs> Trouble is... You can't do that in the church world. You can't do that with God. You know, just come here and be like, hmm, the chairs are not as comfortable as they look. Might try somewhere else next week. Oh, the, the air con's not as cold. I'm a little, mm, you know what? Uh, let's go somewhere else. The preaching, meh. I need something more that makes me tingly. And the song service, I need lights and doves. And so this is not... This is not Myers, right? This is not Westfield. This is the house of God. And we are called to be loyal to Him. I mean, I didn't hear a good enough amen there. I didn't even hear an amen. We're called to be loyal to Him, right? We don't follow a man. We follow the Word of God, Jesus Christ. We follow God in this place. And listen to me, there are so many other, I'm sure there are bigger, better you know, spanking churches out there. But listen, God is trying to get your attention to be loyal to Him. The story of Frank Abagnale took a very dramatic turn, and I close with this. He goes down in history as a modern imposter. Like I said, flying millions of miles in the air for free, forging millions and millions of dollars with forged checks that he would write and stamp and pretend that he was a doctor, uh, pretended to be a, a, a pilot and various other things. Uh, all the while, he was still only between the ages of 16 through to 21. Finally, he was caught. He was imprisoned and yes, he faced the charges, uh, lived up to that, paid for his crimes in full uh, and uh, uh, later on was hired by the, burial, uh, the, the, the U.S. Bureau to uh, actually help them uh, discover other people who are imposters and fraud, fraudsters. 
at the very point where he began to convert his life, he recognizes a lot of things in life that you can pretend to do or be. But the trueness of life cannot be forged. When it comes to love and being a husband or being a faithful father, you can't pretend. It's either you are or you're not. His life began to finally change. He is now being faithful to his wife. I believe they've been married for about 31 years or so. He's got uh, children that have gone to university and one of them's uh, involved with the FBI. But think about this. Here's an imposter realized, you know what, if I want to truly recognize myself and say I've lived my life properly, I've, something's got to change. I can't pretend anymore. I can't fool the people who love me the most. And can I just declare to you, the God of heaven and earth loves you so much. He loves you so much that he doesn't want you to perish. But the tragedy is, is that we pretend. We say, you know what, I'm okay. I'll be all right. Things will be fine. But see, God wants your heart. God wants everything. This is an opportunity for you to put on the uniform. Say, I, I'm a child of God. I'm no longer going to live that way. I'm no longer going to focus on uh, what I used to focus on. My attention is for Jesus Christ. And I'm going to allow Him to use my life. Would you be clothed with the righteousness of God? Would you be clothed this morning with the faithfulness of God? Would you be clothed this morning with obedience to God so that you would be able to see all that God has for us? Each and every one of us, we don't have to be imposters. Before I was saved, I was an imposter. But thank God for His grace. And you and I can all experience that this morning, the power of a uniform.